Today, I have with me Wendy. She's the digital collections archivist at Georgia Tech Library. I thought that it would be cool to talk with her because you know, archival, in a way, it seems to relate a lot to maintenance, especially with digital archiving. It's related to software. So, yeah, thanks for joining with me today. Yeah, thanks so much, Henry. Um, and, you know, I originally emailed you because... Um, I have been working a lot, thinking a lot about software preservation and software archives lately. Um, and uh, at the same time, a lot of archivists have been talking about and getting involved with uh, maintainer communities. Um, and one of my archivist colleagues uh, saw one of your tweets about your maintainers podcast <laughs> um, and passed along your, your contact. So yeah, I'm really excited to talk with you today. Yeah, I guess it, I think it might be good just to start with talking about like archival and being an archivist in general. I think I have basic, I don't have a lot of knowledge in that area. And, and in a sense, it's like, I didn't even know that was like a full-time job in itself. Yeah. I think you're not alone. Probably most <laughs> people would never think of it um, as a job. And, you know, honestly, I didn't really either until um, I, you know, ended up in library school, didn't know what um, I wanted to focus on. And uh, there was a professor, I was at UT Austin, and uh, the professor there, Dr. David Gracie, was at the orientation um, in this like thick Texas accent, was talking about the importance of, of records and archives and how they're, uh, you know, evidence that you were born and they're evidence that you die and they're with you throughout your life. Um, and just, it had never really struck me the, the power that's sort of built into these artifacts, whether they're physical or digital, that we create and interact with through the course of our lives and as societies. Um, so, um, since then I, you know, I've become very immersed in the archives world, but until that point, I never thought of it either. Um, and I guess, yeah, the way I tend to, here at Georgia Tech, um, we do, we have students come in, mostly undergraduate students for classes, and we talk to them a lot about, like, what do you, how do you use the word archive? Because it's become quite common, right? Like in software applications, archive this email, um, but not in the same sense that as professional archivists, we tend to think of it, which is sort of the archive can be either uh, the records, um, which are not just old stuff, um, but very frequently things that are being created right now. Mm -hmm. um, and Or it can also refer to sort of the place where the records are preserved and made available. Um, and that can either be a physical place or a digital place. Um, and I, I also like to tell students that, you know, with the, the archives as records thing, um, unlike a library that has, you know, awesome stuff, but it's stuff that exists in a lot of other libraries. So there, there's redundancy there. In archives, it's often materials that only exist in this single place, in this single instance. So it's that uniqueness and that, um, you know, the rare quality of things that makes them particularly special. And it's also things that somebody 
has like the unique stuff that somebody has decided is worth saving for the long term. Um, and that considering who that somebody is and what their motivations are is really important as an archivist, but also as a user of archives. So I guess I'm wondering now, like, how'd you get into, like, you, you mentioned you went to library school as well. Yes. Um, so I guess, what were your motivations for? I guess, taking this path. Yeah. Um, So I studied English as an undergraduate and, you know, always loved literature and film and sort of these cultural artifacts and um, cultural spaces, particularly things like uh, classic movies, you know, like old Hollywood um, and just sort of had this fascination with like family history and um, places, yeah, worlds from the past. Um, And so I think, you know, I never really thought about library school. I was working for a publisher in San Francisco and I had a friend there who decided to go to library school. And that's really what, um, you know, put the idea in my head. And the more I read about it and, and how you could be, someone working in the maintenance of these cultural worlds. Uh, I was like, this is what I should do. This totally Mm. fits um, with what I love. So, um, but yeah, it's not like, you know, growing up, maybe if you go to the public library, you might consider, oh, that's a career path. But (laughs) um, it's not like something, you know, like you could be a lawyer, you could be a doctor or an archivist. Um, (laughs) It doesn't come up very often. So um, yeah, the the origin stories of how people got into the the field um, are pretty, tend to be pretty interesting. Yeah, because I I think about like in tech, people are like, oh, I want to work at like Google or Facebook, that kind of thing. But then it's like, I don't know, I, I guess with being an archivist, it's like, I guess maybe, I don't know if you have a particular like end goal, like where you want to be in, in, or is it just like, I could work anywhere kind of thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I think, uh, you know, for me, in, in my experience, uh, most people tend to think about sort of what category or what type of archives they might like mm-hmm. to work in um, rather than a specific institution. Although there, I'm sure there's, you know, people with those kind of aspirations, but like, so I work in an academic archives um, or academic library, which is kind of its own universe. And that, you know, Georgia Tech is largely collects and documents its own history. That's sort of the mandate as a public institution. Um, But we also have special collections like science fiction materials that relate to the, you know, what students here are interested in as well as architecture and design and that kind of thing. So um, academic archives, as an academic archivist, um, there's sort of a little more emphasis on uh, research. It's not like you're not a professor, um, but there's a little bit more research and teaching um, that goes on. So that's like some people like that, some people don't. Um, 
And then if, you know, there's so many other path pathways, like working for uh, state archives, national archives, um, corporate archives, like Coca-Cola has an archives here across the street. Um, <laughs> once you start looking for them, archives are sort of everywhere. Um, and they're, you know, uh, we we are sort of unified as a profession, but the individual daily work that we do is quite, you know, diverse. Yeah, because you were saying like, in, like if it's a corporate thing, that it's like a specific information for for them. I get mm-hmm. it's interesting because I guess even for like academic stuff, it's not like that data necessarily has to be private, though, right? Like you can still share it with everyone. Um, even though it, cause you mentioned like it being unique versus like it might be redundant across different like libraries or something like that. Right. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, the sort of stereotype, stereotype of the archive as this closed place that's mostly about preservation and like, you know, don't come use our materials <laughs> or like mm-hmm. wash your hands first and don't come in here. Um, you know, that most archivists are much more, I mean, we care about preservation and security, absolutely, but there's no point in securing or preserving anything unless it's going to be available um, and made accessible and open. Um, So yeah, as, you know, I work at a public institution, um, we have a mandate to serve our, you know, users um, and provide access. And there's definitely movements in archives to open data, to open metadata as much as possible, to be explicit about sort of what the end user um, is, you know, legally uh, allowed to do with the intellectual property um, and sort of making transparent these materials as evidence of, you know, the activities through which they were created as sort of uh, materials with integrity and um, things that can be trusted. Um, So yeah, openness is definitely uh, quite a mandate for archivists, I think, in general. Yeah, and I think that relates pretty well to open source, where we kind of, the desire is that anyone should be able to use all that code freely available, um, at least to consume. Oh, I guess so. my next question is kind of, what what do archives think about in terms of preservation? Like, what are the concerns that are, are relevant? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that is like one of the the hardest things that archives grapple with, um, and because you know, as maintainers, uh, we don't always have the choice about that. We have sort of, you know, the mandates of our um, employers. Um, If we're talking about sort of archivists working within institutions, um, most archives have collection development policies um, that sort of spell out the scope of what they collect and try to be transparent about that. Um, And uh, archives are really interesting in that, they tend to try to collect, um, sort of think 
more holistically, like certainly, you know, you want your institution's collection to be something valuable that your researchers will want to come use. But um, if we learn about some collection that's like absolutely unrelated to materials that other materials that we've already collected, we might refer that donation to another archives. So there's sort of this like collaborative um, and like we're in this all together for a larger purpose impulse um, about collecting and collection development um, that exists in archives that's like pretty unique, I think, compared to um, other, you know, more sort of like for-profit uh, activities. Um, and I think, you know, there's more and more discussion about um, – you know, we're not the only archivists. You could you could say that everyone is an archivist of their <laughs> own materials. Um, and in fact, I would encourage like everyone to feel like that, that you have, you know, you're creating important uh, evidence of your life every day and to be sort of aware of those choices you're making about how, where you're storing your materials, um, who you're sharing them with, like what companies you're sharing them with, like, do you control them? Uh, do you want to delete them? Can you, um, like all those questions, um, about, you know, what's, what's worth preserving that the individual archivist makes or the community archives makes, you know, on their own. So, um, but yeah, in in the archives world, we tend to sort of talk about the term appraisal as this evaluation of what is worth collecting, but also what's worth saving. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess that sounds like triage. Um, if, if you're trying to think about like what's worth or what's priority or what's important. And I guess maybe in some sense, I feel like there is an impulse to just want to save everything. Uh, and then there's another impulse where it's like, if there's too much, then no one's, what you're going to say, like, no one's going to come look at it anymore because it's quantity so much, there's no, like, value. Right, yeah. And how, or how to design systems that help, uh, you know, people navigate to what's relevant to them to be used again. Um, and certainly in, you know, I mentioned software preservation is something that we're thinking a lot about in archives. Um, and... Uh, sort of what is it about thinking a lot about what is it about software that's essential to preserve? Is it the source code? Is it like screenshots? Is it the community that, you know, evidence of the community that created the software? Um, and I guess, yeah, I'm curious from your perspective, you know, working on uh, software and open source software, what do you see as worth or the most essential thing to preserve of your own work. Yeah, that's really interesting because I don't know if I've thought about it in the way of using the word preservation, but like we we tend to use the word like sustainability, but that's more about like the future. But then a lot of the future is based on the past. So I think yeah, I, I think the obvious thing is saving like code, but then like if we're using open source and version control, that's kind of built in. And the things that we miss are kind of like the metadata that is lost in the code, right? Um, I, it's funny you brought up screenshots even. Like, I, I think in certain ways, like if you have the code, you should be able to reproduce what something looks like by writing the code. Um, but then you would have to like 
like if you can, as long as you have the source code, you should be able to rebuild everything and see what it looks like. But it would, but a lot of times, you know, it, people think it's cool to like say you go to a website and then you see how it's changed over time. Maybe saving the screenshots would be nice. Um, but I don't know if you would save all of them for every commit or every version. Um, I don't know. There's probably a lot of things that are worth preserving, but we don't like put we don't save them in a way that it could be preserved like say like people just have conversations or meetings and we don't record them or we don't take notes um those aren't there anymore and um it's kind of like maybe the problem with preservation of the software is that we're not like as developers are not putting enough thinking into preservation in the first place. And so there's not that much to preserve because like the, the thing that's left is the code. And if all you had was that, you wouldn't really understand any of the context and like, oh, why did they come up with this decision? Um, things like that. Yeah, that's a really interesting point in that, um, you know, it's a huge problem that, you know, there's a disconnect between archivists and the rest of the world, or like in this case, software developers, like we need to be talking um, if anything is going to be sustainable, right? Or preservable. Um, mm-hmm. And there is this movement in archives to be, to take this more sort of proactive approach to, um, you know, partnering with the creator of the records as the records are created to ensure that they can be preservable. At the same time, you don't want to like bias the creation process by (laughs) being present or, you know, dictating the way it's created or the way it's documented. Um, So there's sort of like this balance between like being active and being sort of neutral, um, which you're not, you're never neutral. Right. Um, Exactly. Yeah. But I think sustainability is like such a keyword for mm-hmm. archives as well. Um, because I feel like a lot of what I do is sort of sustainability work that's like surrounding either, you know, project project management here at work or um coordinating sort of like social professional infrastructure, like community work, mm-hmm. um, you know, more broadly here in Georgia or um, in the Society of American Archivists. Um, and it's that kind of like building that infrastructure, both social and technical, that archivists are very much concerned with mm-hmm. um, because we know that it's re- like absolutely essential for sustainability um, of our work in the future, particularly as like the stuff we're preserving becomes more complex. And yeah, I think with open source, we're kind of doing the same thing (laughs) where, I mean, even in my work, I am mostly doing a lot of non-technical work to whether it's, you know, program management or fundraising and all the social stuff because I think a lot of people are realizing like we need like program managers and all these different kinds of people rather than just people that write code because things are more complicated. A lot more people are involved. Um, the scale of things is way bigger and it's, it's hard to manage things. Um, just thinking about like the, the pure like code or pure data kind of thing. And I think 
yeah, like um, on the flip side and in, in archives and libraries that there is maybe this, this impulse to like organize the community or like be sort of like organizing projects or whatever, managing projects, but less, you know, when I went through library school, there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis on like programming skills, like, Mm. like technical skills. That's, I think since even changed since I was in school, it's changing all the time and becoming more sort of, um, you know, current with the job market. But um, one of the things I think about a lot going forward is as archivists, will we, be able to sort of be developing and sustaining our own technical infrastructure in addition to sort of social infrastructure for Mm -hmm. the work that we do um, and how our, our values of sort of like, um, you know, openness and um, providing access and ensuring sort of the integrity um, and, ensuring trust between the record and the user, the archivist and the user are so dependent on um, our technical infrastructure, but we can't sustain, um, you know, we don't have necessarily all the skills we need or we're dependent Mm on, um, you know, so many things for sustaining that infrastructure. So realizing that we maybe need more technical Mm-hmm. Um, infrastructure going. Yeah, it, it feels like for an archivist, like the whole like technology and this whole digital thing probably changed it so much because it, it was so physical before, and then now it's like people are trying to digitize things that were physical, and and then like we have all these different like different kinds of operating systems or computers and formats, and it's like hard to think about how you would even manage it. Like it almost it, it's funny because you're mentioning like unity and it's like, well, I wonder are there like standards in like how people format the archives or, or, or like people are just kind of doing their own thing and then you kind of have to it's, it's kind of like when you're doing research and you're Googling things, you know, you have to go through all these different things and synthesize them yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I definitely feel like there uh, people are working together, um, mm-hmm. at least. And that's, you know, I mentioned like how archives and libraries are kind of unique in the collaboration impulse that we have. I think also impulses to create standards and there's like too many standards probably, but we do <laughs> yeah. have um, sort of, uh, you know, professional organizations and working groups and for example, like I'm thinking, I'm working on software preservation stuff as part of um, a organization and sort of a movement called the Software Preservation Network. So there's mm-hmm. these sort of like grassroots efforts that, you know, become more formal entities of um, archivists with common concerns who want to work together in order to sustain, you know, like what is the best practice for creating metadata about source code? Like, I don't know, but let's work together to figure it out so that we're not, you know, reinventing the wheel in Mm -hmm. a million. And so that our metadata will be interoperable um, and can be aggregated. And um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, especially in tech, we have standards, but I think a lot of the standards are mostly run through people working at companies 
versus maybe at libraries, it's like universities and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, increasingly sort of everything underlying everything we do is sort of this, these companies that create the technologies that we're preserving or that we're using to communicate about preservation. Um, and like where that will go in the future, especially in academic archives and, you know, public libraries, whatever the sort of like um, public ownership or like the commons, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, is interesting to think about what that will look like going forward. Yeah. And I think because you, you brought up commons, like uh, the other podcast, uh, we talked about, um, well, there's Eleanor Ostrom, and she does a lot of work on that. She had a uh, a work called Governing the Commons, and and it's funny because thinking about all this is interesting because there's like kind of this dichotomy between like not having any infrastructure, and you kind of just want people to kind of do whatever they want, like kind of grassroots kind of deal. But then that has its own issues, and the opposite is this top down thing where you like tell people what to do, or like here here's the standard, and like. It seems like both of those have issues and like this other approach of trying to figure out how to work together with, it's almost like the least amount of um, governance possible or the the amount that's the right amount, right? How do you figure out what that optimal amount is? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's really like a difficult problem to think about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, the organizations will shift like the software preservation network will take on, you know, a a different shape in the future um, depending on sort of the needs of its members and like the importance of being flexible about governance and like being able to be um, to change according to the needs or the pain points of the members. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, I wonder now. So with open source, um, you know, technically you could be just one person and you make a you put a project on GitHub and now you are an open source maintainer. And or you could work at a company that has a huge project uh, just for that company or you could be like Linux where there's multiple companies and foundations. So there's a huge like range of possible projects and they all deal with problems in different ways. Um, I'm curious if you see that with archivists or like libraries i mean maybe there's different sizes of those and the problems that they face yeah for sure yeah um i feel like i'm my thinking is like really influenced by like another interview um that i participated in this week with a uh, researcher named roger schoenfeld from uh, a research organization called ithaca SNR, which is sort of like um, they study the field of, of libraries and museums and scholarly communication. And we were, the topic was like how many different kinds of uh, collaboration vehicles or sort of like governance models there are mm-hmm. in this field. There's like membership organizations and then there's like um, what he calls trust networks and mm. like these grassroots things. And then there's like regional collaboration just because you're near each other and it's fun to meet up. Um, and uh, yeah, or like listeners, Google groups, Slack channels. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, those are just sort of like the professional, the models of like professional governance. But then if you look at something like digital repository systems, or um, which is also, you know, really important to um, what I do and what other archivists do, um, there's a lot of different models for how, like, there's a lot of open source work going on there, um, like, to create the the technology underlying it, but then also to sort of govern that technology. Um, and then there's also closed source, you know, solutions or technologies, and there's vendors who provide the open source. So it's like, it's very, I guess that's definitely a point of intersection where, um, you know, your world uh, meets the archives world or Mm -hmm. the archives world meets the open source world and how, um, yeah, those different models. It was interesting too, because you brought up, uh, well, the first episode that we did for this podcast with uh, Eric about speedrunning, he brought up that... um, because I was, I forgot what exactly I asked, but he was saying how like before everyone was talking on like forums and like um, uh, listservs and that kind of thing, and now everyone has like a Slack or a Discord. And the problem is that all that information, all the people talking in it, is lost because it's like in this proprietary thing. Um, and I think that is true for open source and probably a lot of communities because the forum kind of died in a way, unless they use something like Reddit, I suppose. Um. Yeah, like um, the openness of your documentation or, again, Mm -hmm. like I feel like that ties into sort of my um, thinking about the choices that you make as an individual over where, Mm. you know, how you, how and where you're documenting your, your work or your personal, you know, activities. and whether knowing like, well, it might disappear because I'm storing it here, but that's okay with me. Or like, I want this mm-hmm. to live forever, so I'm going to use this tool. Um, like thinking about that um, in advance is not some. It's become of like a really complicated thing for individuals or organizations to think about versus, you know, a hundred years ago, they would have had like a a ledger book or a diary for like recording Mm. things and activities. Um, And that would be just so much more straightforward. Uh, Like it would be, you wouldn't want to put it in your attic or your frozen Mm -hmm. basement. But other than that, you know, um, there was like one way of recording stuff. Um, So that's really interesting. Cause yeah, I almost, even personally just taking notes, I'm like thinking all the different ways. It's like, the physical notes, I have like the Google Keep and like Notion and all these different products and I have notes in every single one of them. And I, and I, and I don't even know where I wrote something anymore. And it's like, it, it's, yeah, it's really hard to kind of consolidate all that. Yeah, yeah. Like a lot of sort of personal archives, you know, training materials that I've seen before tend to say like start with, uh, just thinking through what you have, what you create, which seems like so obvious, but yeah, do you know where it is? Do you know what it is? We create so many things in so many places um, these days that that that's hard to know what you're creating and where. And even just thinking through, like I, 
like with the browser, I feel like I used to take a lot of like bookmarks and then now I don't do that as much. And there's a lot of information there. And even looking back at what you used to do is really funny. I remember hearing about, um, I forgot where I saw it from, but someone's talking about how they would look at their old Wi-Fi like uh, access points and it would remind them of like the places they've been just because just by looking at the name, it reminds them of like something. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, one of the things I think is really interesting is like, you know, we tend to think of artifacts or mm-hmm. um, physical papers as carrying so much sort of emotional heft. Like there's this sort of materiality or this aura surrounding um, <laughs> those things, like magic kind of, um, you know, sense. But and that uh people sometimes say like, well, it's just with digital, it's like, it's just a word document. Like Mm -hmm. no one will care in the future. It doesn't carry that kind of weight. Um, But what I observe, like in the story you just told, um, and here at, at tech in the library, we have this like small lab space where we have some older computers and older video game consoles set up for people to use. And the whole idea is that People, when people see these things, even like when they see the like 1980s typewriter that's in that Mm -hmm. lab space, they get super emotional. It's Mm -hmm. not like, and a lot of these people are like highly technical people. That's what they do for their work, but they don't come in and say, oh, I know how that works. They say, (laughs) I feel like I'm five and I remember seeing that in my grandparents' house or, um, And that emotional reaction to technology, whether it's a digital file or a piece of software or a piece of hardware or whatever, is like really fascinating. It makes me hopeful, I think, for Mm. the future um, of our, you know, of how people will value their archives. Like they will see the value um, in the Word document in a way that we can't understand right now. I remember, like, when I was a lot younger, I, I I wanted to make my own system of like bookmarking, which I I never implemented. But I was like, I thought that all this metadata around it would be a lot more interesting than just the URL. But like, it's like, where were you when you decided to like favorite this thing, and like, what time and what place, what people did you see? Like, I thought that all that stuff was like really important to remembering. Um, but it's like that stuff is not there, and it's like. Kind of like the metadata around data is just as important, but it kind of, yeah, just like what you said, makes it complicated and just more stuff to think about. Yeah, that's really definitely interesting. I feel like that ties into what archivists tend to really emphasize context, Um, like the context in which there's the records and there are evidence of the context in which they were created. Like that sort of phrasing is used a lot. And those, you know, that the metadata about your bookmarks, the, the emotion that's tied to, or the circumstances tied to the creation of some piece of code. Um, And that's definitely like, uh, here at Tech, when we're talking about software preservation, we're just as much interested in preserving the code and maybe, you know, providing access to it through emulation as we are doing oral histories or documenting the stories that um, help to contextualize, like, why and where and how um, these records were created. I, I mean, I even think about, like, people always 
like when you become friends, everyone's always like, oh, when did I meet you? Or how did I meet you? That kind of thing. And people are like, oh, I forgot the other person reminds them like this whole story. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, like a collaborative narrative mm-hmm. um, or sort of measuring uh, history through metadata. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes me think too that, you know, the thing that we want to preserve isn't just that artifact itself and not even just metadata, but like almost the just, especially for like code or something, like, like the process, the culture of that project. And um, I, I kind of wanted, even like the Notre Dame, like, like restoring that, it's like, do you want to preserve the, like the original thing or is you're going to add something new to it? And like, what, what exactly are we trying to preserve? Even if, uh, is it like trying to make it like new or the same exact thing as before? Yeah, yeah. It was a really interesting question. Certainly different traditions or like impulses would exist in something like, you know, historic preservation as a profession or, um, you know, architecture um, or even like preserving an artwork, restoring an artwork, or there's sort of like preservation versus conservation um, debates um, that happen. And yeah, it's like, what's the, what are sort of, we talk about like, what are the significant properties of the file or the building or whatever that you think are essential to preserve, but how do you decide what those are? Is it mm-hmm. that people can walk into the cathedral? Like its use is the most important thing, or do you want it to, uh, you know, look exactly the same and mm-hmm. like, you know, accessibility isn't as important as like preserving the exact look and feel like who's determining those requirements. I, yeah, I, Probably it's the people funding <laughs> the <laughs> restoration. <laughs> but, well, that's interesting too, though. So, yeah. 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 That was just such a very visceral, physical example of, mm-hmm. uh, of the threat to history. That, yeah. I mean, it reminds me of open source too, because we had similar issues regarding security of like, uh, there's a heartbleed incident and all these other things that come up where like these huge things that affect the whole society come up and then people start like getting scared of the, the things that we are not been thinking about. But it's like in the day to day, this stuff happens all the time, but like, like in the general public, no one cares, right? Yes. Yeah. Like preservation is important, of course. Security is important, of course, but you don't think about it until it's it impacts you. Yeah. And I often think that, you know, yeah, there has to be like an immediate value proposition to Mm. archives. It can't just be about preservation. And I think that's like, it's access, like it's providing daily access to things that you need. It's like utility. It's the fact that it's relevant in the current moment, um, but also this like storytelling value and this like emotional connection value um, that can be persistent and doesn't have to only arise when, you know, crisis reminds you. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of like uh, the example that pops to mind is like Facebook reminding you what you posted, you know, five Mm. years ago. Um, 
is like creating value out of your your archive not in the way that i would want, <laughs> want to, to. Yeah, yeah. um but it's like an example of sort of um reminding you that your archive is valuable without like destroying it or you didn't lose something and then yeah i guess even just history in general that Understanding the past better will help us in in the future and kind of being ignorant of that. Like kind of starting over is not wise, I suppose. Yeah, so many ideas that didn't succeed before that may succeed now or um, to build on, right? Yeah. And that the value of that you're, you know, creating history as you go and to see that. Yeah, I guess it's just really hard to be aware of that in the moment. Like you were talking about, like, it's almost that knowing, like, if I'm, the more aware I am that I'm, like, creating history, the more, like, you know, I get starting to be scared or, like, not be able to just do the work kind of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you're, like I was saying about being, you know, this balance between being, like, proactive versus neutral. Like, uh, you don't want to you want to just be able to do your work and not be influenced by like the voice in your head saying, uh, thinking too much about the future and Mm -hmm. what you should be documenting and how much weight there is on, you know, whether your code is good or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that might be a good place to stop. Would you like to, if people want to like catch up with what you're working on, how should they like check out your work online? I guess maybe, if we could refer people to the software preservation cohort, the fostering community of practice, that might be good. People could get from there to wherever if they want to know more about our specific organizations. Thanks for listening. Check out our website, maintainersanonymous.com, for show notes and transcripts. If you have any feedback, ideas, or guest suggestions, you can reach me on Twitter at left underscore pat. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit patreon.com slash henryzoo.